prepare to experience the strongest radio allowable by law. Secrets will be revealed. Myths dispelled. From the studio gym where excuses never apply. It's Superhuman Radio with your host, Carl Lenore. Hey, hey, welcome back. To another episode of Superman Radio, it's Monday. Today is June 8th, 2020. Three days away and I turn 62. 62. Three days. I'm putting four fingers up. I'm like a chimpanzee. I don't even know what I'm doing. Uh, we have a great show planned for you today. So we're going to talk about how to recover, not just from an anterior cruciate ligament injury, but really uh, this may be the magic to recovering from many injuries faster. Got to move my mic away a little bit. I tend to talk loud. Later in the show, um, some of you may have remembered last week, I uh, kind of implied that I think I've discovered a way to uh, get rid of GERD, which is a big problem in the country today, uh, using a, G- a peptide called GHRP6 as a gastric prokinetic. So somebody in the audience took me up on trying it, and we're going to find out if uh, it was a win or a lose. Before we do any of that, of course, we always have to thank our title sponsor, Legendary Foods. They make a generous contribution to this show to keep it around so you can get great information for free. If you go to eatlegendary.com and use the code SHR, you'll get 10% off everything you order. Seasoned almonds, delicious nut butters that have no added sugar, and of course, the Tasty Pastry, which is a Pop-Tart. Uh, with less than one gram of sugar, nine grams of high-quality protein, and uh, between three and four impact carbohydrates. School, unfortunately, is out. Otherwise, I'd say buy them for your kids and send them to school with them because they won't realize they're eating something good. Uh, So check them out. Go to eatlegendary.com and let them know that uh, Carl sent you there. Let's see if I can get this done right. We're going to bring my guest on now. Dr. Lindsay Lepley. How are you, Dr. Lepley? I'm great, thanks. So, um, interesting study. New hope for ACL injuries. Uh, adding eccentric exercise could improve physical therapy outcomes. And in fact, you even imply that this is, uh, this is much bigger than just treating ACL injuries, right? Correct. So, what, what, what study preceded this that there were unanswered questions that required you to do this, this research. Yeah. Um, first, you know, thanks for the opportunity uh, to come on and speak to your uh, listeners. I uh, really, we're motivated to sort of uh, explore uh, th- these notions that eccentric exercise is, is damaging um, for, for a very long time um, to study muscle injury. Scientists have basically taken rodent models and pulled muscle and lengthened it because they've known that's a good way to study, you know, ruptured muscle fibers. Uh, But muscle, when it's in in contact with the tendon and inside the body, doesn't stretch that far. (laughs) And so so a lot of these studies have been sort of, they've been uh, pivotal in sort of our basic understanding of how muscle injury happens and how, and how, um, how muscle can recover, but they've been misapplied to the clinic and misapplied to um, athletics because people don't walk around with this, disassociated muscles from tendons from bones. Um, so we've been working on sort of changing the narrative around that. 
by using uh, different types of experimental techniques to more or less conduct experiments that are more translational and and more or less mimic what you would see in the clinic. Um, So that was some of the motivation behind uh, this work. So, uh, first of all, you said uh, damage, right? So a lot of people think eccentric work damages muscles to a greater degree. In fact, that is uh, of uh, of law lore in in the bodybuilding community. I mean, you know, we all say, oh, you got to be sparing with eccentric work because it just damages the muscle so dramatically because it seems to stimulate a greater um, adaptive response and a protein synthetic response. So it's just assumed that it's doing more damage. But your, your research found out that wasn't really accurate, right? Exactly. So we used a rodent model in our research. And um, before your listeners think that this may be like a turnoff, because we're using an animal model to, to demonstrate what happens in humans, that the benefit of animal models, particularly when it when you think about musculoskeletal work, is like 99% of the biology is maintained. So if we do something to a, a rat or a mouse or a rabbit, um, from a muscle standpoint, it, it translates really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what we did was we investigated, you know, this concept of one bout of eccentric exercise in a, in a rodent model or in a muscle. What does that do relative to the standard, which is concentric exercise? And is it beneficial in terms of promoting a protein response? And then also what happens in terms of muscle damage? Because the folklore or the, the conventional wes- wisdom would tell you that it's, it's a damaging response. Um, so we went and sort of uh, went directly at that question and asked. And that's why physical therapists have excluded any type of eccentric work because the, the, the idea is to heal the patient, not re-injure them. But so, so talk about the study. How was your study designed? What did you do with these little rodents? Uh, so uh, there's a market for rodent treadmills. Uh, and uh, <laughs> You know, we, we, we've and, done so many shows on, on – on, I've been doing this for 14 years. We've done so many shows about rodent model – studies as it pertains to uh, physiology and, and, and skeletal muscular systems. And I'm always amazed by the special equipment that's made just to help rodents build muscle. It's just, it's, it's uncanny. I'm sorry you cut out a little bit during that. Uh, it, it just, it's just, it's just so funny that we, you still can't hear me. <clears throat> Hold on. Can you hear, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I hear you now. Okay. Sorry about that. It just, it just amazes me about how the, how researchers go to such great extent to make devices to help rodents build muscle. Build muscle. Yeah, you're gonna have, you're gonna have to put your headphones back on. Put your headphones back on because I'm feeding back. There's a feedback. Let's see if we can get them. Okay, can you hear me? But Am I back I with you? Yeah, you're back, and okay, yep. so we're good. But yeah, I just I, I, I digress. I, I just think it's funny how we we work so hard to help rodents build muscle. That's all. So <laughs> so so you have a treadmill. So so what did you yeah. do? Tell explain to me how the study was designed. Yeah, so um, we selected a strain of rats that are known to like running on treadmills. So that was sort of the first thing that we did, and then we also made sure that they were skeletally mature, meaning that we selected an age range that would be representative of like patients that you would typically see engaged in uh, physical therapy. Um, so these rats were like teenage rats. Um, so, so those are the two basic things that we did with the study design. Uh, 
in terms of how do you exercise a rodent concentrically or eccentrically, uh, just like you could as um, a human, is if you run downhill on a treadmill, Mm -hmm. from a quadriceps muscle standpoint, a thigh muscle standpoint, that lengthens the muscle. So all we did with the treadmill is we tilted it, um, essentially. So they ran downhill to exercise eccentrically, or we tilted it up. Uh, So they were running with their quadriceps muscle predominantly shortening. Um, so those are the two couple of couple of things that we did uh, to, to put rats into different groups and to study this question. Now, I think a lot of people will agree running downhill causes a great deal more soreness in the quadricep muscles because you're literally the muscle is stretching in a different fashion than mm-hmm. in, than a concentric exercise. Correct. Exactly. Right. So your muscles basically built up of these uh, foundational building blocks are called sarcomeres. We think of them as sort of like the Legos of muscle. So the way that you have them stacked, whether they're on top of each other or they're aligned end to end, really determine what your muscle is sort of built for in terms of function. And if you stress these Legos of muscle, these sarcomeres, if you mechanically tension them, um, there's some basic scientific evidence to suggest that that's a different way to grow muscle than if you consistently just shorten it. Uh, so that's sort of the basis that we stand on as to why we think we like eccentric exercise and why we study it in our lab is that there's some evidence to suggest that putting mechanical tension on the muscle by lengthening it can help grow muscle in a different way that's just simply not available to you if you're consistently uh, engaged in shortening exercises. And, and it makes perfect sense when you think about it because muscles fibers are designed to contract. They're designed to shorten. When you mm-hmm. force them to do the the work and elongate, yeah. this, is, this is a lot more intensive for, for a muscle fiber than just shortening. It's designed to contract. It's not designed right. to manage stress while getting longer. Well, it's, it's, it's designed to do both, right? But I think that, like, your body's kind of, like, lazy, and it will take the path of least resistance, right? Yes, so, yes. like, if you're not overloading or you're not challenging your body, it says, why adapt? And so you need to have some sort of stimulus to say to your body and to trigger as like a communication, like, hey, you know, there needs to be more sarcomeres here. There needs to be more muscle here because there's more tension on these muscle fibers than, you know, they like to typically handle. So grow. Um, But if you're consistently engaged in shortening exercises, you don't get that sort of line of communication. So when people and and I, I was surprised, you know, I have an ACL I lost my ACL on my left knee when I was 19 years old. I was skiing mm-hmm. in Great Gorge, New York at the Playboy Club. I had been drinking and doing cocaine all day long. I, I'm just being honest. You could, you, 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 I know you weren't prepared for that. My audience knows me. I talk very openly about my young, younger days. And uh, I came down the hill and I fell and my bindings didn't come off and my left leg turned. And, it, uh-huh. and I felt this snap. And luckily, I had a, uh, a a good friend, a very close friend, whose father played for the Mets. And I went to the Mets uh, orthopedic surgeon, who was Dr. James Parks at the time. And he said, look, you're not an athlete. We're not going to do a cadaver. You know, that back then, it was cadaver ligaments that they replaced it with. He said, uh, and I, I, I was not into bodybuilding or anything at that point in my life. You know, I was just an average guy. And he said, you make your quads really strong, and you won't even know that you lost this ligament. And, you know, I was young enough where my body responded. And sure enough, you know, I spent most of my life 
never realizing that I had a, a, a missing ACL because I made those muscles strong. And then later on in life, I squatted a lot and I, you know, I, I hit some real big PRs and stuff like that. My knee never gave me any trouble. But mm-hmm. there are so many people out there who are missing ACLs. They got out of the car the wrong way. Like I have a friend of mine who blew his ACL out getting out of his car. I'm like, how do you do that? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> it's a big problem. It's, it's a big problem. There's, I mean, in terms of like orthopedic injuries, this is a very common right. one. And the, the challenge with uh, most is that uh, there's this inadequate recovery of strength, which leads to like a widespread um, number of negative complications for individuals. Uh, one being early onset osteoarthritis. So there's some data to show that uh, we know the peak age of ACL injury is 16, uh, and that most people, about 50% of people, whether or not um, they have surgery or not, start displaying some signs of osteoarthritis within about five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. And there's some data to even show that it's like a 20-year timeline towards your first knee replacement. So it's a, from a scientific standpoint, it's a good model to study for those that have a muscle problem that turns into sort of devastating osteoarthritis. Why, um, why, why, why is it so difficult to regain the pre-injury strength? Is it because the body has a governing system that says we're not going to re-injure ourselves, so we're just not going to apply as much strength to that muscle? Well, that's good insight. So uh, there's there's a host of uh, folks that are they're looking at this problem. Um, for those of you that have had ACL injury or seen friends or family that have had it, one sort of unique consequence of it is that after the injury and immediately after the surgery, it's a, people have a really difficult time like firing their quadriceps mm-hmm. muscle, making it contract on its own. And there appears to be a really uh, devastating neurological disruption that happens with an ACL injury. And maybe it's because the ACL itself is sort of neurally innervated. Maybe it's the number of like inflammatory signals that are going on in the knee joint. Uh, maybe it's a protective mechanism initially to say, hey, this is very injured. Don't use it. But the problem is, regardless of the source, is it hangs around. Um, and this sort of neurological disruption uh, really uh, makes re-strengthening the quadriceps very difficult because if you can't contract it, how are you supposed to strengthen it? Right. So it's, it's a unique problem. Um, it's not unique necessarily to ACL injury. It's just very devastating with ACL injury. So it's very obvious. Is there a Golgi um, apparatus involved with the ACL? Is there like a feedback? Uh, a- proprioceptive feedback mechanism going on that the body can go, wow, we're missing that now and the knee's not going to be stable. We can't do too much with it. You're pretty, you're pretty on target. So there, (laughs) there's a lot of literature to look at many different sources of neurological disruption. One being Golgi tendon organ disruption. Um, There's some data to show that the brain changes the way in which it thinks about activating the quadriceps muscle. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's sort of new, newer data that's coming online. Essentially, you can think about it as sort of a a circuit and you have bad information coming in now, whether, you know, whether it's because there's a bunch of inflammatory markers, pain, um, the actual disruption of some nerves. But bad information in generally equals bad information back out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's a host of sort of levels that are probably involved uh, that, um, you know, are causing sort of these poor outcomes for folks. Yeah, makes perfect sense. So our group has sort of looked at that and said, like, okay, you know, there has to be a different route then uh, to restore muscle, right? Because if you're reliant on shortening and if you can't shorten your muscle very well, is there another way to signal to the body to grow muscle? 
And so that, among other reasons, is another reason why we like eccentric exercise, because we think it's sort of like a bypass to those traditional mechanisms that are more or less shut down and more difficult to kind of get by in terms of roadblocks, neurological roadblocks. So we also have a, a, a series of papers that show that from a neural standpoint, eccentric exercise is beneficial to sort of re-engaging the system um, after injury as well. So there again, this folklore around the bodybuilding community is like you don't want to do eccentric work, eccentric work too often because it does this damage. So you have to use it sparingly. Is there any truth to that? Do you have to use it sparingly or do you think that that's just because it's so effective at, at causing a protein synthetic response? We think that it's doing more damage. I think there's a lot of unanswered questions. And, and what we do know uh, is that if your body will adapt and respond. So, you know, everything needs to be graded and, and there needs to be a sort of a period in, into the exercise, right? You need to kind of get comfortable with it and used to it. Uh, but this, you know, the late onset muscle soreness that many people get uh, with eccentric exercise, you know, we have reason to believe that maybe all inflammatory responses aren't bad. and this initial inflammatory response that people see with the eccentric exercise that's self-rectifying you do nothing and it goes away within 48 hours right that would suggest to us that there's not really any damage going on because in true muscle damage if you do nothing 48 hours you still have damage yeah right you're absolutely right you're absolutely right um the fact that it's self-rectifying the fact that i it's potentially beneficial to the neural system and able to engage channels that you know are more or less shut down um, I think all stand on, it's, it's a good thing to think about sort of incorporating into, uh, physical therapy is more of a standard of care rather than this like sexy alternative that people use every once in a while. You know, the other thing is, uh, I've done shows about, because this phenomenon, especially in my audience of, of rhabdomyolysis is common mm-hmm. again, uh, you know, most of us in this, in this audience, we train excessively hard. And we're yeah. always trying to progress. We're always trying to get stronger or do more reps and so on. And so we've had lots of people in the audience who've had rhabdo. And mm-hmm. what, so I did a couple good shows on rhabdo and discovered that, you know, creatinine is not the indicator of rhabdomyolysis. And in, in fact, uh, it's, uh, it's, um, oh, I, I just lost my train of thought. But the, the, the evidence of muscle damage is, is, is presence of myoglobin, not creatinine. Myoglobin is what really means, wow, you, you, you tore up some fibers and, and what was inside of them came out. And, you know, so, so I'm, I'm wondering, like, if people could look at myoglobin accumulation post-eccentric work and, 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 the, and validate what you're saying. Like, no, see, there's no real damage going on here. It's just, it's just you're forcing the body to supercompensate for something that it's really not prepared to do. I think you call it a novice muscle when it hasn't experience eccentric work before right exactly so the reason we chose this model is we wanted you know a muscle or an animal model that hasn't like prescriptively run downhill before right to see like what happens the very first time that somebody tries this Mm -hmm. and what happens the very first time that somebody tries this at at a moderate dose so five minute bouts with two minutes of rest in between you know so a total of 15 minutes of exercise what happens what I will speak to is we do know that in, in folks that have run their rats for like 90 minutes continuously. So this would be this like really big overdose is that it's not good for muscle. 
at least initially, and that too big of a stimulus initially most certainly will lead to a damaging response. Um, and it's, and so what I would caution is, is that, yeah, like if you overload and you really overdo it initially, yeah, you can cause muscle damage undoubtedly. But if you temper it in to an exercise program, a rehabilitation program, there's really no reason to believe that it should be damaging at all. In our, in our experiment, what we did to, to look at muscle damage, to speak at those, to those markers that you were talking about, was we took the muscle tissue itself, such kind of like a muscle biopsy, mm-hmm. except we could take the whole quadriceps, and we stained it to look at um, muscle fibers that had been lysed or basically split open. Um, so we looked to see if the muscle had been disrupted, and we used a different type of technique that would basically cause um, a marker of um, cellular health that by all of their accounts is way too big to get into a muscle fiber. So right. if it's infiltrated and inside of it, it means that the muscle fiber must have burst open and allowed it to come in. Right. And we really saw, you know, relative to healthy animals, animals that had seen a single bout of concentric exercise or a single bout of eccentric exercise, there was no difference. Um, so that sort of speaks to it's good for a protein synthesis response. And acutely, if you temper it in right, there really shouldn't be this pervasive per- pervasive amount of muscle damage that's been observed in um, other experiments. Uh, it, it, the more often you do it, you know, y- your body gets used to things. You know that. I mean, mm-hmm. you, when, when a, a newbie starts training, they see all sorts of muscle gains and then all of a sudden they don't. Is, right. is, the more often you do it, you think it becomes less effective? I think that your body, you just always consistently need a challenge your body. I think the, the body inherently is a lazy thing, right? So if you challenge it in one way and your body regrows muscle or re-augments its architecture to, to handle that stress, then it's good, right? So you need to consistently right. find ways to either increase the tension, increase you know, the, the challenge in some way to keep your body engaged. Interesting. Interesting. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I've got more questions. Have you looked at um, blood flow restriction, katsu at all, in combination with eccentric? If you have, let's talk about it when we come back from the break. I don't want to, I don't want to give the, uh, the good stuff away here. I want people to stay with us. So, All right. We're going to come right back. Stay tuned. You're watching and listening to Super Human Radio. Feel free to ask questions if you want here on Facebook. We'll be right back. I love beef. And if you love beef, listen up. I've discovered the best tasting beef in the world, and that's not an exaggeration, at Piedmontese.com. The Piedmontese breed is famous from Italy for being lean and unbelievably tender with half the fat and calories of traditional beef. Even typically tough cuts are tender when it comes from the Piedmontese cows. And for the first time ever, Piedmontese cows are being raised here in the USA. Get two free 10-ounce New York strips when you purchase $50 or more at Piedmontese.com with code SHR. Go to P-I-E-D-M-O-N-T-E-S-E dot com and use code SHR today. You will never eat any other type of beef ever again. Do you remember those delicious toaster pastries you had when you were a kid? You know, the rectangular sugar-filled snacks? Well, guess what? Legendary Foods has just made low-carb toaster pastry. This is the first of its kind, and honestly, these things are amazing. They have three to four net carb, less than one gram of sugar, and nine grams of protein. You can eat them right out of the wrapper or lightly toast them. The only question is, which flavor? Strawberry or brown sugar cinnamon? They're available at eatlegendary.com and Amazon. 
Hey, this is Carl. For 14 years, you've heard me talk about Can-See Eye Drops, and they being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at now 61 years old. But I regularly get emails and messages from people who've been using Can-See and having some amazing results. Recently, I got an email from a fellow named Chad, who, because he was on dexamethasone eye drops for over six months, developed a cataract. Can-See Eye Drops actually reduced my cataract to the point where even my doctor has a hard time finding it. I will never stop using Can-See Eye Drops twice a day. I've been using them since 2008, he says. And you should be too. There is no better way to keep your eyes healthy and seeing clearly than can see eye drops. Go to wisechoicemedicine.com today and get on board and we will both be looking into the future with very clear vision. Quest Nutrition makes bars, cookies, chips, and pizzas out of complete dairy-based proteins. Our products minimize net carbs and sugar without sacrificing taste. Each delicious chocolate-flavored chip, cookie chunk, and crunchy crumble is custom-made to maintain Quest macros. It's time to enjoy foods that work for you, not against you. It's time to enjoy your Quest. Imagine if you had a digital twin, one that you could compare your own health and fitness outcomes to, one that showed you whether or not the things you're doing, food you're eating, or drinks you're drinking are actually working for you or against you. Well, now you can. The first ever advanced epigenetic saliva test that compares 20 million different data points of your DNA to help predict what is aging you faster or keeping you younger is being introduced to my audience at a 70% discount from the normal price. Go to seeds.md slash epigenetic dash test today to learn how to get your own digital twin that will help you take the steps to live longer and stay stronger. Don't wait because this is a limited time offer not available anywhere else. Once these tests are gone, they're gone. Again, go to seeds.md slash epigenetic dash test today to learn more. This is the Superhuman Channel, where we use oxygen for the power of good. Welcome back. Uh, Before we get on with the uh, discussion, I have to plug something here. So many of you know that I have had a love-hate relationship with coffee for a long time. It destroys my stomach, but I feel like I need that caffeine in the morning to get started. Well, I got to thank the people at Organifi uh, because they make a product called Pure. And while it makes me feel like I've had a cup of coffee mentally, it just wakes me up. It doesn't hurt my stomach. In fact, I think it's had a big role in healing my stomach over the past several months that I've been using it. Uh, if you go to the website Organifi.com slash SHR and use the code SHR, you'll save 15% off everything there. They've got some great stuff. Elisa loves the gold. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's like a chocolate infusion drink. She loves that. Um, nothing but great stuff. First of all, it's dairy-free, gluten-free, keto-friendly, soy-free, 100% vegan. For those of you who are into the vegan thing, I'm not, but that doesn't mean I can't use a product like this because it tastes so good. And it's got some great stuff in it. The thing I like the most is the lion's mane, the mushroom. Uh, this absolutely wakes me up, puts me over the edge when I first wake up in the morning, makes me feel like I can conquer my day without caffeine or coffee. And let's face it, it also increases BDNF, brain-derived nootrophic factor, by over 200%. And the more of that I get, the better off I am as I age. So check them out. Show them some love. Organifi.com slash SHR. Use code SHR and save 15% off your entire order. Great company. I love their products. 
So when we were going into the break, I asked Dr. Lepley, has she looked at blood flow restriction or katsu in combination with eccentric? And you smiled like, oh, okay, this is something, <laughs> is this something you're working on or something you've thought of? It's certainly something that, uh, that we thought of. Uh, um, so blood flow restriction therapy has a, like a lot of, um, as you viewers probably know, a lot of attractive qualities to it. And sort of that baseline is you, the thinking is that you can train at a lower intensity and get the same results. Mm-hmm. Um, so my group has not independently looked at it, but I, my, my joint lab has. Um, and what I will say is that the results relative to the ACL literature are are mixed. Um, some have found it to be beneficial and others have, have not. And so it may be that there's like a combination or a timing in which it could be beneficial mm-hmm. um, that needs to be sort of further investigated. What I do know is in animal models where people have purposely tried to cause injury with eccentric exercise and they've used blood flow restriction therapy is that they've mitigated the inflammatory response. So that could I be a good know. thing. Or, that could be a good thing or a bad thing, right? I, I think. It, I think in this case, it's an inflammatory response that's most likely associated with muscle damage because they were trying to cause muscle right. damage. So I think. I think in this case, it actually, at least in these basic experiments, may suggest that it might be something worth trying. Um, I don't necessarily think there's a lot of information to say that it's harmful. I think there's some information to say that it's beneficial. I think that it may be most beneficial when you can't quote unquote overload the muscle and it may be good. Like during a, like if we're thinking about ACL again, like during a more acute phases of rehabilitation where you're just sort of getting back into strength training and you can't overload yeah. because the graft site is healing. Right. Um, but maybe when you're back at sort of optimal strength and you can just simply go for it, it might not be as beneficial Yeah. That makes or you just sense. may need to train at a very high intensity. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and because because Katsu was originally, I actually interviewed the Japanese scientists. I think in two thousand seven or two thousand eight, they they actually created Katsu to help in injury management. You know, uh, mm-hmm. keep keep people's muscles from atrophying when they couldn't load them. Uh, the, the early early research was on the quadricep muscle also. Um, so, what do you hope people take away from your research? Uh, this research here. I think what it what we're hoping is is that people don't get turned off that it's an animal model, right? That that these this work really does translate quite well, um, and that people should be a little bit more open minded about this conventional wisdom that eccentric exercise is always damaging um, because it may in fact be a very low cost way to grow muscle, right? It's universally available. You don't need specialized uh, equipment to make it happen. Um, this study shows that it's good for muscle. It's not damaging. And we have another, you know, block of papers that show that it's maybe good for the neural system as well. So uh, we have a, a viewer, Michael Nippert. He says, I have cerebral palsy and I, am, I have a frayed ligament. How can I strengthen my quads? About the only leg, leg exercises I can do would be exercise bike. And it has to be Jane-driven. Because that helps me get the full pedal. I don't know what Jane-driven is. Have you ever heard of that term before? I have not. Um, I could probably Google it pretty quickly. But what I can say is this, is that there are bicycles that will cause, instead of pedaling forward, the pedals will more or less kind of come at you. And your job is to slow the pedal ah, down. So that that's awesome. Would cause, so that would cause you to have an eccentric contraction. 
Um, so perhaps looking at sort of MacGyvering of uh, the bike that you have to, instead of you pushing the pedal forward, have it push towards you and you try to slow it down would be a way to sort of, uh, integrate that in, um, to, to your exercise regime. Now, a frayed ligament. So the, uh, I've learned some things about soft tissue, uh, <laughs> after, after, you know, detaching my tricep and three attachments on my hamstring, it's like you start learning stuff after you start breaking yeah. things. And uh, a lot of people who have uh, prolonged bouts of tendonitis, for instance, it turns into tendinosis. And mm-hmm. tendinosis is actually when these uh, soft tissue, uh, very strong, uh, almost like cables, they start to fray and come apart and they lose their true strength capacity because now you have just a bunch of separate strings, if you will, as opposed to this cable. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering, does uh, does this kind of training affect soft tissue as well or just muscle that we're talking about today? So you're, you're asking now not just about the muscle component, but like the muscle tendon junction. Yeah, yeah. So my lab has not been as involved okay. at looking at the muscle tendon junction, um, probably to directly answer this question. But what I will say is muscle is very dynamic and mm-hmm. tendon is inherently attached to muscle. And of all the systems that I've studied in the bottom body, they, they, they change. And so I, I would run with, uh, the, the, the thinking that it would probably cause a beneficial adaptation, but I would need to do a sort of a deeper dive to give you a concrete answer on that. Yeah, because soft tissue is really interesting. It's avascular, so it doesn't have good blood flow. We did a show a couple mm-hmm. years ago that showed the time to take gelatin or collagen in general is before you train so that it's in that space around the muscle Because the soft tissue works like a sponge, it'll pull in what's outside of it. And so you can help uh, use um, collagen, uh, collagen hydrolysate or hydrosylate, whichever one it is, um, or even like cheap Knox gelatin with a little vitamin C. But you got to take it before you train because there's no blood vessels in soft tissue. So it's not like, oh, yeah, you digest it and it's traveling around your bloodstream. It gets us no. The soft tissue picks up what happens to be around it, and that has to be in that, that space around it for it to be effective. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, like, a, a series of literature for those that have, like, patellar tendonitis. Like, one of the strong recommendations yeah. is do eccentric exercise, right. right? So there is a bulk of literature to show that doing eccentric exercise will help with sort of re-engaging the tendon healing process to keep it away from becoming um, sicker, for lack of better terminology. But the mechanisms at work uh, would would require sort of a deeper dive for me to kind of speak directly to that. Yeah, because because when you think about it, t- tendons really do their work when they're stretching, right? So so uh, you you'll see basketball players that can fly have very, very short gastrocs, very short calf muscles. They have this long strap of, of, of a tendon. And so, you know, tendons really excel when you're stretching them because they, they build up dynamic pressure and then they snap back. And it just seems to me that eccentric work would probably be beneficial for tendons as well. That, that's the only reason why I thought that was interesting with his question there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I think he did... Uh, yeah, he's he's correcting himself. He he said chain, not a belt. So when I pedal, the belt comes around. I, I, what he meant was chain, not not Jane. So thank you, thank you for gotcha. that. 
So um, what's the next step for your group to, to, to actually take this and, and make it for humans? Like, obviously, it, and a lot of rodent model studies lead to human studies. Mm-hmm. Do, is the next step for you to start doing this with people? So we've, we've done, uh, my lab operates on both ends of the spectrum. So we do uh, rodent work and we, and we do human work as well. We've done uh, eccentrics in humans after ACL reconstruction. We found it to be quite beneficial. Uh, and the question is why? So that's why we've scaled back to do some of the rodent work. And we're in the midst of sort of investigating the, yeah, clinically it looks good, but why, right? And when and how much, right? Those are all like really, really uh Big time questions that need to be answered to help guide rehabilitation. Um, but yeah, we're engaged in um, and have produced uh, quite a few studies to show that it's beneficial in humans. You know, I, I, I'm just getting back to the gym because of COVID. You know, we were off. I, I took two months off. This is the longest I've taken off in, I don't know, 25 years of, of, of when I made a decision 25 years ago to drop 100 pounds, stop being a fat slob and start working out. And, uh, and, and so this is the longest I've taken off. I mean, even with surgeries, like, uh, I couldn't train my left arm because my tricep had been, so I trained everything else. And when I tore my hamstring, you know, I trained my right leg and my upper body. And so I've taken two months off and I have to tell you, I feel horrible. <laughs> I really do. Remember that Saturday night live? Uh, you look marvelous. I felt horrible. I feel horrible. I'm just starting to get back into the gym now. And I'm thinking about ways to kind of step it up. And I forgot about eccentric training, to be honest with you. So, oh, you know, I, we talked about eccentric training back in the day. And, and, and then I thought, well, you know, that's not for me right now because I don't want to do too much damage. I mean, I fall prey to those same bro science type idiocies. Like, and, and it's just refreshing to hear your discussion because I think that eccentric training is actually uh, something that everybody needs to start thinking about working back in, if for no other reason, because it does produce such a profound hypertrophic and, and, and protein synthetic response, given the amount of work you do. Right. I mean, that's, that's well stated. Uh, you know, we're on the, we're on the same pathway in terms of, of thinking. Um, and it's not to say that like, people don't do eccentrics in exercise, right? Your body, your, your muscle is always shortening and lengthening. What we're saying is isolated lengthening exercises, purposeful lengthening exercises, um, probably, you know, deserve, um, more space in rehabilitation and more space, uh, in most exercise, uh, programs. Well, and so, and when you look at some of the the exercises that we call king, you know, like the squat, the squat will build muscle like on your shoulders. It builds muscle all over your body. And when you think about that, really, you know, you start out standing up and then you do an eccentric first as you go down into the hole and then you push out of it. The same thing Uh with the bench press. You start out with your arms extended and then you do an eccentric and you pull it down to you. So there, right. there are some of the movements that are like we consider like the big primary movers in the gym. They start out as eccentric movements. The deadlift, not so much, obviously. You're starting dead on the ground. But there are a lot of right. people who do deadlifts where they take it off the squat rack and start out standing and then go down, which turns it into a primary eccentric mover first. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a interesting type of uh, 
exercise, I, just a brief sort of history lesson on it, because I think it's interesting to share is the word eccentric means odd. And the reason that eccentric exercise has been given that terminology is relative to concentric exercise. Scientists have not been able to explain how it occurs. Uh, so we've known since like, the 1940s, 1950s, how concentric exercise works. We can explain it very well. Um, you know, people are still publishing like cross bridging, sliding filament theory papers on like, how does a muscle work when it's lengthening? How do myosin and actin interact? And it's not until the last couple of years when people started to understand that muscle isn't just actin and myosin. Ooh, I'm sorry about that. I have a no, ghost. I have a ghost. I have a ghost. Uh, I've been trying to I've been trying to run the show on a clock and I wasn't paying attention. So oh, we, we, do, we have to take one last commercial break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up the discussion. And we've got a good friend of mine, Joe Cristiano, waiting in the wings to talk about his experience using GHRP6 for GERD. I just stumbled onto this. There's a lot of people that have GERD today uh, and most of them are treated with PPIs or or antacids and then they have trouble. Uh, uh, metabolizing food and absorbing nutrients and so on. And I think I've discovered something that's exciting. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You've heard about blood flow restricted training since 2006 on SHR, but you're still on the fence. Well, here's the push. BFR is more effective at building muscle than anabolic steroids. That's right. I went there, but it's because it's the truth. My experience with the B-Strong blood flow restriction system is proof to me. And now I'm asking myself why I waited so long. You'll see undeniable changes in the targeted muscles in days and weeks like nothing you've ever tried before. I will never stop using them. Give B-Strong a try go to b s t r o n g dot training forward slash super hyphen human and use code shr for 10 percent off do you remember those delicious toaster pastries you had when you were a kid? You know, the rectangular sugar-filled snacks? Well, guess what? Legendary Foods has just made low-carb toaster pastry. This is the first of its kind, and honestly, these things are amazing. They have three to four net carb, less than one gram of sugar, and nine grams of protein. You can eat them right out of the wrapper or lightly toast them. The only question is, which flavor? Strawberry or brown sugar cinnamon? They're available at eatlegendary.com and Amazon. Whether your goal is to build muscle or burn fat, you'll find everything you need at Redcon 1. Need help getting a good night's sleep? Try Fade Out or the most popular pre-workout supplement on the market today, Total War. Sign up for their new transformation challenge and win $10,000 or shop for apparel that people at the gym will know that you are serious about your training. Need a testosterone booster that works? Check out Boomstick. Whatever you need, you'll find the best quality supplements on the market at Redcon 1. Go to Redcon1.com. That's R-E-D-C-O-N, the number one, dot com, or go to superhumanradio.net and click the Redcon 1 banner ad today. Men and women, you've heard about hormone optimization. Do you feel like it's something you want to look into? RenewLifeRx.com is the place to start. Their doctors can help you with the solutions. RenewLifeRx.com has a simple process for lab work, consultation, and taking a deep dive into where your hormone levels can be improved. Superhuman Radio listeners get 30% off your initial lab work and consultation. Go to RenewLifeRx.com to schedule your no-obligation phone consultation today. 
today. Feel younger, get in better shape, and be more productive at RenewLifeRx.com. Ever wish there was a precise way to gauge your recovery from workout to workout? Or wonder if the money you're spending on your nootropic supplements are actually improving brain function? Maybe you're aging and you're noticing some changes in memory. Wouldn't being able to really test your brain be of great value? Well, now you can with great accuracy with the Brain Gauge. The Brain Gauge lets you test essential components of brain health and track your brain health history and all in the comfort of your own home. Go to gaugeyourbrain.com and use code SHR for $150 off this amazing device. That's gaugeyourbrain.com and SHR for $150 off. Move over, superheroes. This is the Superhuman Channel. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Lindsay Lepley about eccentric training. And while it's great for injuries, uh, it may be the best thing for your training as well if you want to add some muscle quickly. And clearly it sounds like it's not doing the damage that many of us thought it was for years and years, so you can use it more frequently. Uh, maybe people need to start to uh, dive back into it. So I guess the next thing is for your your group to get more clinicians to try this with patients now, huh? Yeah, we're, we're certainly trying to get the word out. Uh, you know, opportunities like this help uh, and um, to change sort of conventional wisdom about it and incorporate it into rehabilitation. See, I, I see something even bigger than injury. So, so you know, we have a real problem today uh, with people who age. Uh, they cut back on protein consumption because they have digestive issues. They don't move as much. They lose muscle. As they lose mm-hmm. muscle, you know, m- muscle influences bone mineral uptake. So, you know, if you don't have as much horsepower, you don't need as heavy of a chassis. The body starts to downregulate, makes bones brittle and thin. And they become, you know, these walking time bombs waiting to fall and break a hip. They lose muscle dexterity. They lose strength. And really, uh, keeping people I, – I, I remember one of my earliest shows. Uh, I, 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 when I first started doing this show in 2005, I used to say – Muscle is metabolic currency, so get into the gym and make a deposit today. I said that for like two years, three years. And I started doing shows about how muscle saves lives. And I did a show with a group from, uh, from the California Veterans Administration that did a longitudinal study. I think it was 16,000 men. They followed them for 20 years. And the guys who were the strongest at the beginning of the study were still alive at the end of the study. And the ones that were weakest... They died, and it was like, oh, my God, you know, the strong really do survive. And we have today a population that invests zero value in muscle. In fact, they'll look at a guy like me and say, oh, you're just vain. You know, No, I, I want to stay vital. I want to stay strong because I want to live long, and that's why I put value in muscle. And this seems to me that this is very valuable to the aging population who hasn't injured themselves yet. Because this is a fast way to keep muscle on your carcass, I think. I mean, absolutely. I think it's all about just tempering it in and making sure that people understand how to do this type of exercise. I think the other sort of benefit of eccentric versus uh, concentric exercise is it's less metabolically taxing. So for those that have had heart-related conditions, right, it, 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 you can do more by doing less. And it doesn't raise your blood pressure like um, and it doesn't cause as many systemic effects as other types of exercise. So there's also a benefit to it um, from that standpoint as well. I love it. I love it. I think it's great work. I hope that you'll consider coming back on the show uh, next time you have another study that has been published in this area. 
Um, yeah, of course. So if you if you'll make sure to keep us apprised of the next paper you publish, we'll we'll get you on right away. Okay. Excellent. Yep. Thanks we'll for be being here. here. This is fun. I love your work. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Uh, we're going to take one quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by uh, Joe Cristiano, and uh, he has an interesting story to tell because uh, he took me up on my challenge to use GHRP6 to treat some gastric issues um, he was having, and we're going to find out if uh, it was a win or a loss. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Superhuman Radio. Imagine if you had a digital twin, one that you could compare your own health and fitness outcomes to, one that showed you whether or not the things you're doing, food you're eating, or drinks you're drinking are actually working for you or against you. Well, now you can. The first ever advanced epigenetic saliva test that compares 20 million different data points of your DNA to help predict what is aging you faster or keeping you younger is being introduced to my audience at a 70% discount from the normal price. Go to seeds.md slash epigenetic dash test today to learn how to get your own digital twin that will help you take the steps to live longer and stay stronger. Don't wait because this is a limited time offer not available anywhere else. Once these tests are gone, they're gone. Again, go to seeds.md slash epigenetic dash test today to learn more. Hey, this is Carl. For 14 years, you've heard me talk about Can-See Eye Drops, and they being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at now 61 years old. But I regularly get emails and messages from people who've been using Can-See and having some amazing results. Recently, I got an email from a fellow named Chad, who, because he was on dexamethasone eye drops for over six months, developed a cataract. Can-See Eye Drops actually reduced my cataract to the point where even my doctor has a hard time finding it. I will never stop using Can-See Eye Drops twice a day. I've been using them since 2008, he says. And you should be too. There is no better way to keep your eyes healthy and seeing clearly than can see eye drops. Go to wisechoicemedicine.com today and get on board and we will both be looking into the future with very clear vision. New Mass Pro Synthogen X2 just upped its own legendary game. To distance itself even further from the rest of the pack, Synthogen X2 now has double the key active ingredients. If you've ever wondered what steroid-like recovery feels like, Synthogen X2 delivers. See why others compare it favorably to powerful bodybuilding drugs at Synthogen.com. Mass Pro Synthogen. When you train with it, you'll gain with it. Quest Nutrition makes bars, cookies, chips, and pizzas out of complete dairy-based proteins. Our products minimize net carbs and sugar without sacrificing taste. Each delicious chocolate-flavored chip, cookie chunk, and crunchy crumble is custom-made to maintain Quest macros. It's time to enjoy foods that work for you, not against you. It's time to enjoy your Quest. Are you a fan of the low-carb lifestyle? Having trouble getting fat adapted on your keto diet? Feel like your digestion has stalled? Now there's Capex. Capex increases fat loss and energy on any low-carb, no-carb diet, all while improving digestion. Capex boosts AMPK and muscles by 52% and fats 
cells by 300%. Capex increases ATP in your liver by 22%, a key part of energy production, all while revving up the fat-burning hormone adiponectin by a whopping 248%. Nothing works like Capex, and now you can get Capex for up to 42% off by going to kenergize.com slash SHR and choosing one of the purchase options and using the code SHR. That's K-E-N-E-R-G-I-Z-E dot com slash SHR and code SHR. This is the Superhuman Channel, doing reps with the weight of the world. Welcome back. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Hey, Carl, how are you? Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so you and I have never really met, right? We've, been, we've known each other for a long time. I've known you since the After Hours show with Aaron. Was that 10 years ago? Off topic, yeah, off, off topic. topic. More, yeah, about, about 10 years ago, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, great, great. So um, tell, you, tell your story first of all. So yeah. you, were, you were struggling with uh, what was called GERD, but some other digestive issues as well, right? Sure. Two years ago on Mother's Day, I kept getting hiccups and burps and it wouldn't stop. And, you know, a couple a while went by, and I said, uh, this isn't normal. Why am I burping all the time, hiccuping all the time? So I went to the doctor uh, an hour, about an hour and a half away, and he's, they did you know, all the tests. Um, you know, they, they under anesthesia, they said I have GERD, I have uh, a hiatal hernia, and I have an ulcer. And one of the solutions was, you know, they said lose weight. Okay, well, I'm not fat. I was just gonna say you've been a bodybuilder your whole life. You're not a fat guy. So I went through all the, you know, I went through all the testing for months. Went to the surgeon, and the surgeon said you're a perfect candidate. Your numbers are off the chart. We got to get this surgery done right away. So I get denied from my insurance company because I have terrible insurance, and then I got denied two more times on appeal. They considered I needed they needed a surgery called the Lynx procedure, that we spoke about. Where they're putting a a a like band at the bottom of your esophagus, which opens up when you need to eat, or you know, God forbid, you have to throw up, right? Or but it stays sealed, otherwise allowing the acid to come up, right? So my insurance company denied it because they consider it a luxury item. Now, now let's just say, Carl, let's say I wanted to get um, surgery. Right. To, let's say know, let's say you want to get breast implants. I can do that on my insurance. Yeah. They would cover that. Right, right. But they will not cover this surgery. Yeah. So I've been suffering for close to two years, and we've gone back and forth, and you've given me ideas. And the, your, your latest idea was the absolute best one. So, so we started out with the, uh, scaling back on caffeine consumption because this has an effect on the esophageal sphincter, relaxes it and opens it up. So do things like chocolate and, and, uh, and ginger. They, they are known to actually... Uh, cause the esophageal sphincter to open for people who have problems where it closes too tight. There are people who can't swallow. Um, another thing that's effective at relaxing the esophageal sphincter are uh, phosphodiesterase inhibitors like Viagra, Cialis. A lot of guys who take that stuff complain about heartburn all the time when they take it. So th- those are actually therapeutic approaches for doctors who have the exact opposite problem. There are people out there who develop Barrett's syndrome or Barrett's esophagus from chronic heartburn, where now the sphincter doesn't want to open anymore. And that's so a they, big worry of mine. What's that? That's a big worry of mine. Yes. So well, going to cost the insurance company a lot more to, 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 
to uh, treat me for cancer than this, this surgery, you know? Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. Like when you have this chronic problem too long, you get esophageal cancer eventually. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of time. So um, now keep in mind that I, I talk to a lot of people who suffer from GERD. They also snore. Some of them have obstructive sleep apnea. And I, I have contended all along that the reason we have so much obstructive sleep apnea today is because people's guts are messed up and everything gets inflamed all the way up and then everything just hangs and it's the throat closes, gets smaller and narrower. And so this has kind of like been in my wheelhouse. I've been looking at this stuff for probably pretty close to nine years now. Why? Why do we have the problem with chronic snoring? Why do we have the problem with obstructive sleep apnea? People who aren't even fat. My sister was 90 pounds. She had it. Like, why do we have this problem? And then when I look at it, neuropathies, and I look at these, these conditions that we see in our population, and I keep coming back to the gut. I keep coming back to the gut. It's all starting in the gut. Now, can I figure out why everybody's guts are messed up? No. With all the crap that's in our food today, it's going to be very, very hard. And there's other things. For a long time, I thought coffee was causing problems, and I'm still not sure that it's not. Um, the problem with the gut is that once the gut gets messed up, it can literally take years to fix it. And so you really never know if what you're doing is right, if it takes years to see changes, because it literally takes years for you to see the problems. Like the problem you developed, it was probably in the making for five years, but well, it sure. wasn't until it, it happened that you're like, oh, and so we expect it to, to change right away. Right. And it doesn't. Now, most doctors will treat this disorder with a proton pump inhibitors or antacids. This is a horrible idea. The reason it's a horrible idea is because now you end up with nutrient deficiencies. And we know that proton pump inhibitors are linked to heart failure. So there are proton pumps everywhere in your body, it turns out, in your brain, in your heart, not just in the stomach making hydrochloric acid. And so now we find out that the people who are on PPIs long-term, they end up with heart failure. And now they're linked to dementia. And there's some people saying it's because of nutrient deficiencies. And other people say, no, there's proton pumps in the brain. So this is the way they, they treat it as, as a rule. However, there's another class of drugs that they can treat these disorders with. They're called gastric prokinetic agents. But the problem with them are that they change the heart rhythm dramatically. Like they can, if you take these drugs, these gastric prokinetic agents, they can actually throw you into a heart attack or atrial fib or tachycardia. They obviously work on the vagus nerve because the vagus nerve controls heart rate. The vagus nerve also controls something else, and that's called gastric emptying. Okay? So I'm just connecting the dots and why I I called you and said you want to try an experiment. Mm -hmm. So... One of the things that is a, a gastric prokinetic agent is ghrelin. Your, your stomach produces this hormone, ghrelin. It's the hormone of appetite. When your stomach starts producing ghrelin, it goes to the brain and it says, we're hungry, we need to eat. But ghrelin has other effects too. The presence of ghrelin in the gut tells the stomach, we're going to be eating soon. We got to do a really good job of not just digesting this food, but moving it down into the small intestine so we can put more food in. So ghrelin actually increases the effectiveness of, uh, of digestion, meaning that you're going to get more out of your meal than you normally would. 
It also increases a phenomenon called peristalsis. And what peristalsis is, is peristalsis is the uh, small intestine goes in a like waves and it, it squeezes down in waves to move the food. So the, the food, the stomach can go, take this from me. And the, the small intestine goes, I'm ready. Give me everything you want. So this, this phenomenon of peristalsis is like squeezing a tube of toothpaste. Your intestines squeeze stuff down, squeeze it down so that more can enter from the stomach. And when you look at ghrelin in general, it actually improves the entire process of gastric emptying. Now, why is this important? Well, here's why. Because what happens in the GERD phenomenon is if the food doesn't move out of the stomach in a timely fashion, it's the gases build up in the stomach. The esophageal sphincter has a breaking point of 20 milligrams of water. Like, like, like a blood pressure cuff reads in mercury, they use water. When the pressure can push 20 milligrams of water up, that is when the esophagus goes, I can't handle this anymore. I'm opening up. And it lets the contents of the stomach come out because it's, the body goes, it's not moving down. We must have to throw it up. So this is the first step to vomiting. The esophageal sphincter relaxes. You start to burp. Food comes up. Acid comes up. But in your case, you actually vomited, correct? Oh, Carl, I, I, it's embarrassing to go to a restaurant. We had third row seats to Frankie Valley, um, you know, and I would eat dinner and I, I had to force myself to keep this food down for two and a half hours. It's like that common. We, we leave a restaurant, I throw up all over myself. It can happen immediately or it can happen, you know, three or four or five hours later. I'm like, why is this food still in my stomach five hours later? You know? Great question. Exactly. Now, the, now, your doctors never asked you any of these questions. Did they say how fast do you feel like you digest food? Does it feel like it's in your stomach? Do they say any no, of those things? They call it the radioactive egg test, where I eat these eggs, and then they take a picture of my stomach every, I don't know, half hour, hour. It took it was like a five-hour test, but um, they told me that was normal. That you were Obviously, fine. They said you were fine. Yeah, that's what they told me. Okay, yeah, so you were, you were literally – I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What's that? No, go ahead. Finish. They prescribed that ranitidine. They took ranitidine off the shelf because it was cancer causing. They they prescribed me baclofen, which is supposed to be like a muscle relaxer, mm-hmm. and like an optimal. And you know what? When I went off all of them, I felt no better, no worse. And I was eating a hundred tums a day, which is not good either. Yeah. So, so it's clear to me that this disorder involves the vagus nerve because that's what controls the esophageal sphincter. That is what controls the gastric emptying and food motility out of the stomach. And of course, ghrelin affects the vagus nerve as well. Well, we have a form of ghrelin that many of us in the bodybuilding community have been using for probably 15, 17 years now, and that's GHRP6. And GHRP6, if you take a high enough dose, makes you hungry. But it also makes the food go through you faster. And whenever I say this, people go, oh, but then you're not getting all the nutrients. No, it not only, it not only makes the food go faster, but it ramps up digestion. You digest your food better and faster, and it gets out of your stomach faster. So it's not going to be in there making you burp, literally festering in your stomach until you just vomit or 
it starts to come up as, as indigestion. Then you take you take uh, anti antacids, and sure, you don't feel the acid burning you anymore. But your food isn't moving fast. In fact, now it's going to move slower because you just you just knocked out all the hydrochloric acid in your stomach. Mm-hmm. So you and I talked. Actually, we didn't talk on the phone, did we? Or we just messaged. And I said, try taking 125 to 200 micrograms of GHRP6 15 to 20 minutes before a meal. So now let's go back to that first day. You ordered your GHRP6. You sent me a picture. You showed me you had it. Yep. Tell me about the first time you, you used it. The first dose I did, I did the 20, which was probably or the 200, which was probably too much. So my blood sugar dropped and I was starving. I had my meal and I was looking for more things to eat. Yeah, I know. What? But I kept it down. So, um, and it was, uh, you know, it's, it, it feels, it feels different. The meal, the, the food feels different. It's, I may have, a, I may burp here and there after a meal. Don't get me wrong, but you know, except for a couple blips I've had in the past week, like I can't handle salad. It's too light. It comes up. What, what can't you handle? Anything light like salad or vegetables. Oh, yeah. It just, so I figured, okay, I'll have a big salad. See if this works. And as I threw it up in a little while. So I see, and this this is the vegan myth, right? So salad takes so long to digest, and this is why people don't know this, and you probably do. But if you go to Italy and you eat at an Italian restaurant, they give you the salad last. The antipasta is what you have first. In America, they give you the salad first. So basically, they take the thing that's going to take the longest to digest, that's the slowest moving, and put it in front, and now put everything on top of it. It's right. the stupidest idea in the world. In Italy, you get a salad at the end of your meal because that's rotorooter. It's going to follow through after everything else, and it's going to clean everything out. But it also mm-hmm. digests so slowly. Terrible. Sure. Yeah. So, well, okay, other than, other than salad, you've been taking, what, 125 micrograms before every meal now? So four or five meals a day. Um, the only thing I don't take it, uh, I, I do drink some like uh, some branch chains throughout the day, but I sip it, so I figure I don't want to eat it before that. But before a protein shake, or I eat a lot of I, I eat a lot of fish because it was always been easy for me to digest. Mm-hmm. You know, rice. I'm a very boring eater when it comes to you know dieting. I haven't had a real real bad meal on this stuff yet. That'll be Wednesday. That'll be a, a true test. So, what is it? What uh, is a bad meal to you? What is, What is it that you have? Birthday, so we're gonna go to Italian restaurant. So you know, red sauce kind of kills me. So I'll probably do like a white sauce. You know, maybe an appetizer or something. Artichoke's French. You know, typical, typical Guinea Guinea meal. Yeah. Um, that's the true test. So I'm not sure, Carl. Do I stay with the same dose? Should I take a little bit more, or do I just no, no, stay with the same dose. You don't, you don't need more. It's gonna do what you need it to do. And I predict that you're gonna be able to eat that red sauce, and it's not gonna bother you. Okay. Okay. Right, but so 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 now, how long have you been using the GHRP six before meals? Now, how long has it been? I think today's the seventh day, and it's ninety percent better. Like I said, I've had some blips, but it's like it. When after I have a meal, I have to sit in a chair and sip water and not do anything afterwards. Normally, you know, which is which is pretty terrible when you want to enjoy your life and go train and this and that. But it seems like I can actually have a meal and go do things now. You know, it's. It's a lot different. Yeah, the food is moving out of your stomach the way it used to. Now, people keep asking me, do you think that this will correct the problem? I think it can. I think that, I think that there's, when, when the food moves too slow, it can lead to a lot of other problems in the small intestine. So I think by mimicking the way the food should move over time, I think you're going to go one day and forget to take your shot and your food's going to move. 
But that's going to remain to be seen uh, how long that takes. Um, you know, it, 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 I really do think that there could be a chance that this will correct the problem completely over time of use. But now think about the number of people that are out there today who have GERD. I mean, it's like 60 million people in America complain about having GERD. And doctors are not even thinking about GHRP6 as a, as a possibility. Not at all. In fact, I don't think any doctor would even recommend it after hearing this, even though it works. Even right. though it works. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it, they're just going to put you on proton pump inhibitors or antacids or something like that because that's what the medical literature suggests. People aren't even going to take a look at this when they really should. 100 to 200 micrograms of GHRP-6, 15 to 20 minutes before each meal. Even if you don't have GERD, it's going to make you digest your food better, faster, but don't use MK677. So somebody said to me, well, I can just use MK677 because doesn't it have a prokinetic effect as well? It does. But the problem with MK677 is it's too long acting. And it actually, the more you use it, the less growth hormone you produce from it. It actually exhausts the pituitary. to The, the pituitary can't keep up and you literally start producing less and less growth hormone. This is a better alternative. You take it before a meal, and it wears off after the meal, and you're and you're done. It doesn't make, now. Do you feel tired or sluggish at all? No. Yeah, so MK six seventy seven. People say, "Oh, I feel so tired when I take it." Yeah, because it's too long acting. This is yeah, a I better tried, alternative. I tried the MK six seven seven, and maybe wanna just eat everything in sight for six hours. It's like you know, I'm a gavon as it is. I like to eat. You know, you're raised a certain way. Being Italian. Grew up in the pizza industry. The last thing I need is something man to eat, maybe eat more food. You right, know? right. So, bottom line is, right now, from where you stand, you're, this has solved the problem. It's not fixed it. You haven't yet cured, but it's solved the problem in the short term. Right. It's ninety to ninety five percent better, Carl, than it, than it was before. Yeah, and, so, and sure. I wanted to, wanted to publicly thank you for trying to help me out with this situation when no one else cared enough to do so it means a lot of course of course i'm i'm look man i'm trying to figure this stuff out for myself too i suffered with lps laryngeal uh uh lpr so it's instead of gerd i have this lemony taste so but it starts with gerd so my esophageal sphincter opens up and it comes up into the top of my throat but i don't get a burning feeling from it and I found out, I discovered when I was taking GHRP6, it wasn't bothering me. And that's when it started to dawn on me. That's when I started to look at, I mean, there's studies on humans using GHRP6 as a gastric prokinetic. Doctors should be using it. It has no side effects per se. And if any, and, oh, the best shot I take is right before bed. I actually take, so instead of just taking GHRP6, um, I go to uh, peptidesciences.com and I buy the combo. It's, uh, it's the CJC-1295 without DAC, so it's short-acting, with GHRP-6. I take 200 micrograms of each before a meal, and I take 200 micrograms before bed at night. I sleep deeper, and if there is any food that didn't move, it moves it out, moves it right out. I wake up in the morning, I don't bur- I used to wake up in the morning burping. I'd be like, I haven't eaten since 6 o'clock. What the hell am I burping? It's very frustrating. You know, it's like... It's like it, it, it controls your life. It controls what you're doing and when you can do it. 
So many people don't realize that their food is not being digested. It's just sitting in their stomach. So many people don't realize it. They just take it for granted that they finished eating and it's gone. And it's literally, and you know, if you're one of these people who you ate at six o'clock and you had some red peppers and you're getting ready for bed, you know, four hours later and you burp and you taste red peppers, they're still in your stomach. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't digest them. And I really think that this slow digestive motility and the food hanging around in the stomach could actually be contributing to the SIBO, the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, because the food is just sitting in there and it's just festering. It's not moving. Peristalsis isn't working. It's not moving the food down towards the large intestine and the colon. It's just hanging out in there and it's rotting. So I think that GHRP6 could be a remedy for a lot of people out there, even if they don't have Frank Heartburn, Frank Gerd. It could actually be a – if you feel like your food doesn't move, get some GHRP6. Go to peptidesciences.com. They're not a sponsor, but they gave me a code that our audience can use, SHR, for 10% off. Give it a try if you suffer from – I'm glad to hear things – and now I bet Joanne wants to kiss you again. Yeah, again, right? <laughs> so there's that, right? So there's that. <laughs> uh, it's great to have you on the show, brother. Thanks, Kyle. Great to be here. All right. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. All right. So that's it for today's show. Uh, thank you to Joe Cristiano for coming on and talking about that. Hopefully we'll help more people. Uh, and tomorrow's Tuesday. We have the Blueprint Power Hour. We'll see you then. Thank you for watching today. See you tomorrow.